Hello, friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Before we take you to your favorite Sports History Network show, just want to tell you a little bit about some merch that you can pick up that represents your favorite SHN podcast. So far, there's t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even books from some of the authors that do podcasts right here on SHN. Who could buy something better than that than have the history right from the, the gentleman that you hear talking about it? But we also are adding things each and every day. And where's that store, may you ask? Well, it's at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Up at the top, there is the SHN. HN merch button. Click on that. It'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that, hey, on the swag that I'm using, it's the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear, Sports History Network, and my favorite podcaster, the Sports History Network store. Shop there today. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. It's time for Lombardi Memories, a show that takes you back in time, into January or February, to the greatest one-day spectacle in all of sports. This is the Every Other Tuesday podcast that looks back at each and every one of the 50-plus Super Bowls and tells the story of who won and why. For the fan who needs more than a box score, this podcast goes drive-by-drive, play-by-play, for the most dramatic games in history. I'm your host, Tommy A. Phillips, and you can visit my website at TommyAPhillips.com where you can find all of my books. Today we have Super Bowl IX, which was held on January 12, 1975 at Tulane Stadium in New Orleans. Between the first-time AFC champion Pittsburgh Steelers and the three-time NFC champion, Minnesota Vikings. As always, we have a pop quiz and then homework at the end of the episode. The pop quiz question for today is, what is the record for the least first downs in a Super Bowl? Intent, it happened in this game. The answer will come at the end of the podcast. The Pittsburgh Steelers got off to an inauspicious start in 1974, going 1-1-1 in their first three games and getting shot out by the Oakland Raiders. But then they went on a tear, and they won seven of their next eight games and ended up winning the AFC Central Division at 10-3-1. In the playoffs, they crushed the Buffalo Bills 32-14, a score that we will see in the near future, actually, 32-14, remember that score, um, before winning the AFC Championship game in Oakland over the Raiders, who had beaten them earlier in the season, they beat them 24-13 and advanced to their first ever Super Bowl, Super Bowl IX. This Steelers team wasn't quite yet Terry Bradshaw's team, though. He only threw for the second most yards on the team this year, as Joe Gilliam led the way, he threw for 1,274 yards. But Joe Gilliam had a 2 to 1 interception to touchdown ratio. That's right, 2 to 1 interception to touchdown, not the other way around. So uh, that wasn't very good. Bradshaw was a lot better in that regard. 
He threw for 785 yards and seven touchdowns during the season, and he took control of the starting job as the Steelers went into the playoffs. The running game went through running back Franco Harris, who rushed for over 1,000 yards and five touchdowns. Rocky Blyer and Preston Pearson combined for nearly 700 more yards and six touchdowns. Bradshaw was a good runner for this team. He ran for 224 yards and two scores. When it came to receiving, it was receiver Frank Lewis who led the way with 30 catches for 365 yards and four touchdowns. As for Minnesota, they started out the season 5-0, but then they lost four out of six games at midseason. They then went on a three-game winning streak to end the regular season, made it as division champions of the NFC Central. They knocked off St. Louis 30-14 in the divisional round. Then they beat Los Angeles 14-10 in the NFC Championship game in Minnesota to advance to their second straight Super Bowl. The offense ran through two players, quarterback Fran Tarkington and running back Chuck Foreman. Tarkington threw for 2,598 yards, 17 touchdowns, which in those days were astonishing numbers. Remember, it was just a 14-game season at the time, and uh, we were in the midst of the dead ball era. And um, But Chuck Foreman also had a great year. In fact, he led their team in both re rushing and receiving, running for 777 yards and nine touchdowns, and catching 53 passes and six touchdowns. Whiteout Jim Lass led the team in receiving yards with just 45 more than Foreman because he had 631. Foreman had 586. Lass, however, did not catch a single touchdown during this season. But remember, this is the dead ball era. The Time in NFL history where scoring was way low, really down, and the main stars of these two teams were on defense. The Vikings had their purple people eaters, Alan Page, Carl Ellard, Jim Marshall, and Doug Sutherland. Meanwhile, the Steelers had their steel curtain, Mean Joe Green, Jack Lambert, Jack Ham, Elsie Greenwood, Donnie Sell. Mel Blunt and company, this Super Bowl was going to be a low-scoring defensive battle. The Vikings' opening kickoff of Super Bowl IX was short, and Steelers running back Preston Pearson took it to the 36-yard line. The Steelers then went three and out to start the game as defensive tackle Bob Lurtsema sacked Bradshaw to force a punt. Tarkenton then completed his first pass of the game to receiver John Gilliam for 16 yards. However, after that, the Vikings couldn't move the ball, and um, on third down, Tarkenton threw it to Gilliam, but he caught it out of bounds. So the Vikings have a punt, and receiver Lynn Swan of the Steelers returned it to the 41-yard line. Rocky Blyer then busted through a big hole for a first down into Minnesota territory at the 45-yard line. 
But from there, the Steelers ended up getting called for a clipping foul. And then Alan Page sacked Bradshaw to force another punt. So the Steelers had the punt, and then they forced Minnesota the punt very quickly. This is the dead ball era of the NFL. Very little scoring. And after a clipping call on the on the punt against the Vikings, the Steelers forced them to kick a second time. And this time, Steelers defensive back Glenn Edwards returned the punt all the way to the Minnesota 44. Bradshaw found tight end Larry Brown for a first down at the 26-yard line, but then the Steelers couldn't get any closer than the 20. Kicker Roy Jarella tried a field goal, but it went wide to the left, no good. The Steelers made the Vikings go three and out once again, and then they got the ball back at their own 47-yard line. Franco Harris burst on for a big gain on a delay play down to the 28, and then Bradshaw scrambled on a bootleg for the first down at the 18. This got Jarella another chance at a 33-yard field goal, but holder Bobby Walden couldn't handle the bad snap on the play, and he ended up getting tackled for a loss, and no points for Pittsburgh there. The first quarter came to an end with it 0-0. The Vikings punted once again, and the Steelers took over. This time, they were befallen by a pair of penalties, a tripping call, and an offensive pass interference call on Lynn Swan for pushing off. It got worse, though, because Blyer then fumbled the ball, and defensive back Randy Portal recovered for Minnesota. And that got the Minnesota Vikings a chance at a 39-yard field goal, as um, this was the first Super Bowl with the goalposts being on the end line instead of at the goal line. And Fred Cox kicked the 39-yard attempt, but it went wide to the right. No good. No points. So now Bradshaw took over. He threw complete to receiver John Stolworth for first down at the 46-yard line. Lyre then made it into Minnesota territory, but the Sears were stopped on a third down play. They punted. And Minnesota receiver Sam McCollum made the fatal error of picking up the ball at his own seven-yard line instead of letting it go for a touchback. So the Vikings were now backed up at their own seven. Chuck, Chuck Foreman gained three yards of first down, but on the next play, Tarkenton and running back Dave Osborne failed to get a clean exchange off. The ball bounced back into the end zone where Tarkenton fell on top of it for a safety and a 2-0 Pittsburgh lead. That would be all the points either team would get in the first half. The Steelers went 3-and-out after receiving the free kick. The Vikings got something going with a couple of first outs by Foreman and another one by Osborne. But Tarkenton had a pass broken up and it got tipped right to Mel Blunt for an interception. Steelers uh, had a few offensive plays there, but couldn't get in the field goal range, ran out the rest of the clock, and they went to the locker room with a 2-0 advantage. 
On the opening kickoff of the second half, Vikings running back Bill Brown fumbled the return, and Steelers linebacker Marv Kellum recovered it. So the Steelers started out at the Minnesota 30-yard line, and then Franco Harris ripped off a long run down to the 6-yard line. Two plays later, he punts it in for a touchdown on the left side of the line, and the Steelers went up 9-0. The teams exchanged punts from there, and Minnesota got the ball back at their own 20. Tarkenton threw a pass that got deflected back into his own arms, which meant that he caught his own pass. But he tried throwing in a second time, and he completed it for a long game, but it wouldn't count. It was an illegal forward pass, and um, NBC commentator Don Meredith recognized it right away, and that illegal forward pass carried a loss of down. And then Tarkenton made up for it. He threw the tight end Stu Voigt for a first down at the Pittsburgh 45, but his next pass got tipped and intercepted by Steelers defensive tackle Mean Joe Green. Now, Bradshaw also threw a pass that was intercepted by uh, defensive back Jeff Seaman, but it didn't count. It got brought back because the Vikings were offside on the play. So Franco Harris ran the ball from there a couple times to get past midfield. But Bradshaw threw incomplete on third down, and the Steelers punted it down to the 23-yard line as the fourth quarter began. So the Vikings had the punt, of course, themselves. Remember, this is the dead, dead ball era. And, but they got the ball back after a bad exchange between Bradshaw and Harris. Defensive back Paul Krause fell on the fumble for the Vikings. Tarkington then went long for Gilliam, and he drew a pass interference call on Pittsburgh defensive back Mike Wagner. But then Foreman fumbled the ball, and Green recovered it for the Steelers. And the defensive plays just kept coming after that. The Steelers couldn't get a first down. They had the punt. Then Vikings linebacker Matt Blair rushed through and blocked the punt. Defensive back Terry Brown recovered it in the end zone for a Minnesota touchdown. But the way this game was going, well, Cox... Missed the extra point off the left upright, so Minnesota remained down 9-6. So now the Steelers need to try to put the game away because they were only up by 3. And they put together the best drive and the only good drive of the entire game. Uh, Franco Harris ran it out to the 42. Then Bradshaw found Larry Brown for a first down at the Minnesota 28. Rocky Blyer burst through a hole, and he got a first down at the 15, and then he caught a pass for another first down at the 5. Bradshaw then threw a third down touchdown pass to Larry Brown, and the Steelers went up 16-6. The Vikings had one last chance. Tarkington threw a deep pass that was picked off by Wagner, and then all that was left the rest of the game was find out if Franco Harris could set the Super Bowl record for most rushing yards in a game, and he did just that. 
he got to 158 yards and won the MVP award. And finally, Steelers owner Art Rooney had his first Lombardi trophy. Franco Harris was named MVP, and rightfully so. The MVP could have gone to someone on defense. And in fact, I would have given it to someone on defense. I would have given it to Mean Joe Green. He was in on two turnovers during the game. And the Steelers' defense held the Vikings to just nine first downs all day long, which is the answer to today's pop quiz question. The least first downs in Super Bowl history, Minnesota with nine. Now, was there really a, a most valuable player on Minnesota? I mean, they played so miserable, and their only touchdown came on a blocked punt. But I'd have to give it to defensive back Jeff Seaman. Um, he, he was in on a lot of plays and almost had that interception, if not for the offside penalty. And he uh, played pretty well for the Vikings, so i say he was the most valuable player on the losing team. Who was the least valuable player? Well, that has to be Fran Tarkenton, sadly. He threw three interceptions, and uh, since he had already thrown one in the past Super Bowl, that meant he had four for his Super Bowl career, a Super Bowl record, and... All he really needed was to get 17 points. If he gets 17 points, the Vikings win the game. He couldn't He couldn't get them any points. Their only points came on a blocked punt. So sorry, but Fran Tarkington, Pro Football Hall of Famer, least valuable player of this game. Now, who's the best player of this game that you've never heard of? How about linebacker Marv Kellum of the Pittsburgh Steelers? He recovered the most important fumble of the game, the fumble on the opening kickoff of the second half. That play completely turned the game in Pittsburgh's favor. And <laughs> the reason you've never heard of Kellum, he only intercepted two passes in his entire he intercepted two passes in his entire NFL career, which only lasted four years. And that also brings me to the biggest play of the game. That was it. Uh, his fumble recovery at the beginning of the second half it was huge, as Al Michaels would say. Al Michaels always <laughs> likes to say it was a huge play. And uh, <laughs> so maybe Minnesota could have made a game out of it if he doesn't recover that fumble. But that ball gave it, the, that play gave the ball to Pittsburgh in Minnesota territory. Then they scored the first touchdown of the game just a few plays later. What was the biggest play no one remembers? Well, how about Cox's first field goal miss? If he makes that field goal, the Vikings actually go to the halftime leading 3-2. to two. It could have been an entirely different ball game had he made it. Sometimes those little field goal misses can be big moments in low-scoring games like this. So finally, I'm going to give you some homework to study on the 1970s Steelers. There's lots of books you can find on the Steelers, but the one um, I'm going to go with here today is called Their Life's Work, The Brotherhood of the 1970s Pittsburgh Steelers by Gary M. Pomerantz. 
And this may help you with some of the future games we're going to get to in the upcoming months. Because this book takes a deep dive into the dynasty. And it's one you'll have to spend a long time on if you want to really get everything out of it. In fact, I haven't even really had time to dive into this book yet. But it's definitely one worth getting. So next time, we're going to have the Pittsburgh Steelers trying to repeat. Going up against the first true wild card team to make the Super Bowl, the Dallas Cowboys. This one took a bunch of crazy twists and turns, and it all ends up with one last Hail Mary. Can Roger Staubach complete that pass and bring home the Cowboys' second title? Or will the Steelers repeat as champions and make their case for being the team of the decade? Find out with Super Bowl 10 in two weeks. As for me, you can find my work at TommyPhillips.com. Find my books there. But until then, so long. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Each week, the official Football Learning Academy podcast will take you deep into the history of pro football through interviews with players, coaches, or administrators in the NFL, as well as interviews with Pro Football Hall of Fame selectors, authors, and historians, you'll learn how the game evolved and important moments that shaped the sport into what it is today. And don't miss the Pro Football History Nugget of the Week. Listen to the official Football Learning Academy podcast on the Sports History Network. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.